Part 15 of Confessions of Two Brothers. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information, or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Confessions of Two Brothers by John Cooper Powys and Llewellyn Powys. Confessions by Llewellyn, Section 4. A Consumptive's Diary. November 29th, 1909 I must be ill. Last night I coughed up blood. I slept badly also, the sound of the wind and drifting rain keeping me awake. What an autumn it has been. We have not seen the sun for weeks. All low-lying fields are flooded, all roads heavy with mud, and all trees black with dampness. I am going to the doctor this morning. Probably I have broken some small blood vessel and shall be all right in a day or two. I cannot help remembering, however, those ominous words of John Keats when he spat blood for the first time. I know the colour of that blood. That blood is arterial blood. It is my death warrant. I must die. Later. I have interviewed the doctor, and he says I have consumption and must leave England at once. I asked if I might not wait until after Christmas, but he told me there was no time to be lost. December 2nd. I am starting for Switzerland next week. My eldest brother is going to travel with me. I still have discoloration and slight fever. December 9th. We got here yesterday, having broken the journey at Basile. I have never been abroad before, so that, in spite of my weakness, I found the journey extraordinarily exciting. Amazing, suddenly, to see in reality the historic continent of Europe, for me hitherto only a matter of maps and writing. At first I looked out upon the plain lands of Normandy, that country so dear to Guy de Musopont, with its limitless fields and small workaday farms, and now afterwards at the more undulating landscape of the frontier. With now and then a swollen river sweeping along quite clear to the railway line. We had our first glimpse of the mountains coming up to Lequart, formidable grey granite cliffs overhanging slate-coloured lakes, scenery sombre enough and well selected for Pontius Pilate's legendary end. At last, as it was getting dark, our train ran slowly into Davos, Platz Station. A crowd of porters, each with the name of a sanatorium or hotel inscribed on the front of his hat, stood waiting at the end of the platform. Eventually we were conducted to a sleigh and driven up here. As we passed through Davos, we could see on every side prostrate figures on lighted balconies. My room, number 14, is a fairly large one. The fact that number 13 is completely admitted strikes me as an astonishing concession to the superstition of the modern European. Exactly opposite, on the other side of the valley, rises a huge fur-clad mountain with curious straight paths running down its precipitous sides, used, so I am told, by woodcutters for sliding timber. I am to stay in bed for at least two or three weeks, so as to become acclimatized to the rarefied mountain air. My brother leaves tomorrow. December 10th. This afternoon I was examined by the doctor. He says my chances of recovery are good. 
as i looked down upon his bald head busy with a stethoscope at my chest it seemed extraordinary that one skeleton man by merely listening could possibly predict the longevity of another december fifteenth today i was allowed on my balcony for a few hours from my liege chair i could see a small village at the bottom of the valley a village in miniature with flat-roofed houses clustering around a tiny church in all directions the mountainsides are dotted with chalets december twentieth this morning i went down to the dining-room for the first time i sat at the english table between two men who had got the thing in their throats and could only communicate in whispers one of them a sentimental clerk from newcastle tried to enlist my sympathy by writing on a scrap of paper i am a married chap then there was an anglican priest also at the table a sly whimsical high churchman plump as a partridge but with death obviously upon him december twenty first i went down again today and am getting to know the various people by sight there is rather an attractive american woman at the table opposite she is married but seems just now very much occupied with a dour-faced scotchman at another table a little further away sits a hungarian a graceful serpentine figure strangely emaciated there is a young russian also a fellow of herculean proportions with heavy slavonic jaw and expansive gestures he is in love with a little compatriot of his a beautiful barbarian slender and delicate with pale ivory hands and black lynx eyes i have named her hammerdryad and in truth her voice possesses something of the quaint shrillness of a wood creature for the rest of the room is filled with a curious medley of degenerates from every country in europe philosophic germans flushed and friendly smartly dressed foreign-looking frenchmen and aristocratic austrians december twenty-second walked up and down the terrace the cold freshness of the air when one first comes out is very delicious and i began to feel better i encountered the priest who made jocular allusions as to the gravity of his health but even so i saw the death terror at the back of his eyes december twenty-sixth went down to the christmas dinner last night and sat next to the hammerdryad who i fancy was drinking too much champagne i amused some of the patients afterwards by telling fortunes your lifeline is a good one i said to the hungarian good one good one he laughed that's funny considering i am dying he is a strange type subtle and irresponsible and declares himself a disciple of montague like so many other europeans he has fallen under the spell of napoleon his room is packed with histories of that period and with busts and pictures of the great man there he says pointing to the crowded relics there is the past and there indicating his table strewn with papers and musical instruments there is the present and there and now he pointed to his bed and there is the future the death mask of napoleon plastic and monumental lay on an ebony stand by itself he noticed that it had caught my attention i have often sat watching that for hours he said that is rest january first nineteen ten the whole sanatorium is immensely diverted by the behaviour of the russian 
this great boy giant has conceived a grand passion for the hamadryad he showers her with choice and costly flowers and this evening summoned the davos band for her entertainment for all this she takes precious little notice of him in fact she has told me she does not care about him while waiting for the post this evening the priest began likening the sanatorium to the cave of polythemus we are devoured one by one he said certainly his religion does not seem to reconcile him to the idea of death i reminded him that ulysses and a few of his men did at last escape clinging to the bellies of sheep january seventeenth it has been a glorious day the sun in the sky seemed smaller but at the same time far brighter than it does in england and under its rays the white frozen mountains gleamed and glittered true davos weather the habitites call it i passed by many chalets colored a rich mellow brown by the heat of the sun the russian is as infatuated as ever it is really laughable to observe him at a meal times trying to look at her without being detected by the other patients she does not appear to notice him at all january twenty sixth this morning out walking i amused myself by watching the peasants sliding tree trunks down the mountain sides they use a kind of single pickaxe which they dig into the trees shouting in gruff unison so as to strike and dig at the same moment these were the weapons used against the austrians january twenty eighth the hamadryad has been taken ill i am sorry as i have found her wild and wilful personality strangely fascinating i was quite surprised to discover how startled i was this morning by coming across her name written in the snow it was like finding the footprint of a drowned child on the seashore january thirty first the hamadryad is much worse report says she may not recover i went for a walk in the morning but have come to hate these mountains of sorrow from an open space in the woods i looked out across a deserted white plain at davos there it stood that city of dreadful death forsaken forlorn and shrouded in shame in the immediate foreground was the black spire of a church and beyond in the enclosed piece of ground where so many unfortunate patients congregate for the last time next week we are going to have a fancy dress entertainment i shall procure a costume from davros february second my temperature by no means normal this morning as i was putting on my snowshoes i overheard a queer conversation the room next door has for some weeks been occupied by a young englishman last night he had a bad hemorrhage i guessed it was so because when i woke i heard him give those successive gasping coughs which were absolutely unmistakable apparently the doctor was with him for i heard him ask in a querulous tone whether he was going to die for some moments the noise of the nurse emptying basins was the only sound audible then at last came the no certainly not certainly not from the doctor he was dead by the evening though february fourth walked along the path above the sanatorium 
kept digging my alpine stock into the snow and admiring the blue colour like that of a breaking wave to be seen in the hole where it had been. A peasant passed by, leading by a rope, an absurd mouse-coloured cow. He was bearded and smoking a long and hanging pipe. The fancy dress entertainment is tomorrow. February 5th What a scene it was, this fancy dress ball. I stood at the end of the lighted hall, dressed as a Welsh prince in scarlet and gold, and there passed by countless fantastics, a nun, a perrault, an emperor, everybody in the highest spirits, cigarettes, champagne, laughter and flushed cheeks. If it had not been for the continual sound of coughing like the voice of a hollow-toned stranger, now here, now there, one would never have suspected that all was not well with this gay and coloured picture. But this was brought home to me when, going up to my room for some forgotten object, I happened upon a group of servant men taking at the opportunity, now that the corridors were deserted, to carry away a corpse. I only saw them for one moment, but I knew directly, as though by instinct, what they were at with their oblong burden, their hushed voices, their stockinged feet. It is said that coffins of every size are stalled in the sanatorium to facilitate the secret removal of bodies to the dead house in Davos, for, after all, it is not pleasant to live patients to meet dead patients coming downstairs. February 8th. The Hamadryad is dead. It was her they were carrying away last night. The death of a guest is never announced in a sanatorium until the corpse has been removed. It is necessary to diminish the startled shock such news gives to the others. When a day or two has elapsed, like silly sheep in a butcher's field, they can be reassured. February 14th Yesterday I drove down to the village in the valley. It was a wonderfully beautiful morning, but it turned off in the afternoon. I went inside the church. It was Zwingillian, and the interior was bare and desolate, except for faded floral wreaths hung here and there in the remembrance of the dead. A place more discouraging one could hardly imagine. Coming back, the sky was overcast, the mountains appeared chill and sombre, and small flakes of snow began falling. I am quite glad to get back to my room again. February 15th. I think the extra exertion must have been too much for me, for today I am in bed with a rising temperature. February 28th. Yesterday evening the Russian shot himself, but by a strange irony, owing to his illness, his heart had moved from its right place, so he is not dead. March 2nd. I am getting worse. March 10th. Still no improvement. It looks as though my dissolution is to be a rapid one. The doctors sound me and give me not unfavourable reports, but from their queer calculating looks I understand what they really think. April. This is terrible. I had no idea that I should come to fear death as I do. 
the whole perspective of my view of life has changed. It is as though I had been asleep or hypnotized all this time, and had only now waked. And what an awakening! April 10th, 2 a.m. Hemorrhage. I see blood, I taste blood, I breathe blood. Will daylight never come? End of part 15